Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Benjamin Preston about developing collaborative and strengths-based teams. Benjamin Preston, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation today. Uh, you have an interesting background, and I see that you're from Arlington, Virginia, um, which is such a lovely part of the country. I love going back there to visit, and uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the last time I was there was a year ago, May, and uh, I, I don't remember the name of the, the like the trolley cars that go down that main street. <clears throat> downtown and mm-hmm. I was I was staying at one of those hotels uh close to the wharf area yeah. um and anyways it, just a lovely place great nightlife um and a good place to to be for there for professional meetings which is why I was there and did a little bit of touristy things on the side one of the highlights of my trip to Arlington this last time was I, I went and found the narrowest home in the world so they claim so you can actually like reach your hands out and that's as wide as this house. Wow. <laughs> and I haven't have a seen nice... that yet, so I'll have to find it. <laughs> they have a nice plaque out front saying this is the narrowest home. And I have a thing for tiny houses. So okay. I just thought, oh, that's really cool. So I went and checked it out. So Something anyways, to be prideful about. <laughs> yeah, that that's, has nothing to do with anything we're going to talk about today. But um, but I, I just thought that was interesting. Um so as we get started, uh, I wanted to share Benjamin's bio with everyone, uh, but and also let everyone know today we're going to be talking about collaborative and strengths-based teams. Uh, Benjamin has some some background in this area and does a lot of work with younger staff and trying to help them develop the most productive uh, and capable teams possible. Um, so let me go ahead and read Benjamin's bio for everyone's background. Benjamin Preston is a marketer and business strategist with extensive experience in businesses of many different sizes and industries. He has an MBA from the University of North Carolina, and he's done it all, launched several businesses, joined the leadership team at a startup, took a job at a billion-dollar communications company, and also worked at a Native American economic development firm. Benjamin now consults with small businesses uh, to develop their strategies and scale their operations across various industries. Born in Omaha, Nebraska, he now lives in Arlington. Um, so again, thank you, Benjamin, for joining me today. And before we dive on into the conversation, anything you would like to share with listeners by way of personal background or context? Um, I think everything that you you mentioned in my bio is kind of like my summary of my professional work. Um, I think I'm really excited about this topic personally because I feel like there's a lot of a lot of missed opportunities and a lot of light bulb mo- a light a lot of light bulb moments. Um, try saying that five times fast. 
that'll happen with um, some viewers just because this is usually when you think early professionals or, or building teams around strengths, it's not something that's super intuitive for a lot of us because we kind of have a traditional mindset of how organizations should be structured or how they should operate. So I think this will be a good conversation in terms of talking about, you know, how do you develop a team? How do you make them more agile and strength-based? So I'm excited. Excellent, excellent. And, and let's, let's start with the, the framing around early career professionals. Um, you know, you, you've worked in a lot of different contexts, a lot of different types of organizations and industries, and probably with different types of teams, probably uh, some with younger professionals, some with, you know, a mix, some with older professionals, whatever. Um, but let's start with this idea of perhaps uh, millennial and Gen Z professionals, early career, they're trying to, to prepare themselves, develop themselves. What do you do specifically with that group to try to help them create more of a collaborative, strengths-based approach in their teams? Yeah. So if you look at it, you kind of have to, have to look at it from two different angles. One angle is looking at it as a young professional. If you're, if you, I don't know if you kind of remember like your early formative years in your career, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of sort of lack of stability in terms of where am I going to end up? I don't even know what I want to do for the rest of my life or am I stuck at this company? Like there's a lot of anxiousness that happens with that. And then from an organizational standpoint, typically people at the lower end of the, of the sort of employment chain, like the individual contributor level people are usually delegated tasks that are most would say not fun or they're like the grunt work. Like typically people are hired when they're inexperienced or when they come in and they don't have a ton of work. They usually are told, you know, you're going to own this project, this project, this project that nobody really wants to do. Good luck, have fun. And so it's kind of a weird dynamic of like people who are already a little bit nervous of going into the working world are all of a sudden given projects that they don't love and then they leave a company and people are confused as to why that happens. The way that, I'm, that I've approached or that I've seen a lot of teams is typically younger leaders, I would say like younger managers, people that are part of that demographic that you're talking about, tend to build teams that are more dynamic and more agile and less hierarchical because that's the sort of the environment that they were raised on. Like growing up with the internet or at least with more connectivity, there's not as much, there's not as much traditional value in saying, you know, you're older than me, therefore you know more than me. That's usually not how that, how that group approaches work in building teams. Typically, typically, I will say this generally, because I feel like there's a lot of great leaders who are obviously not millennials or Gen Zs. Like I'm reading Robert or Bob Iger's book about leadership, and I'm just like, I would love to meet him. Obviously, he's not a millennial or Gen Z, but he knows how to build a team. Um, but typically, older leaders will look at work and say, this is how it was when I was younger, therefore, this is how it needs to continue to be. And there's more value in putting work in the grindstone as opposed to putting emphasis on, are you enjoying your time? Are you enjoying your work? Is this something that's fulfilling you personally and professionally? Um, because younger professionals, I think, tend to mold both of those layers together, personal and professional, and looking at them both together as opposed to separate categories in their lives. So that's kind of the difference of what I've seen of those two groups building teams is one is usually more agile and dynamic, and one of them is more traditional and output-based. I don't want to say performance-based because it's not usually performance-based. It's usually, did you check all of the lists of the things that you were supposed to do today? And those are sort of the big differences. Yeah, yeah. I think that is a key difference. It's uh, kind of the old mentality is more about desk time, FaceTime, 
you know, checking the boxes. Did you do all these things that you're supposed to do? Did you comply with all of these things? And the, the, uh, the newer approach is, is more performance-based, actually. It's, it's more like, what do you actually um, create? What do you generate? What, what are the, the actual outcomes of your work, not just putting in the time? Uh, and then, so anyways, that's an interesting um, uh, way of understanding uh, millennial and Gen Z workers and, and kind of their dispositional approach to working, you know, not even specifically within a work team, but just work in general, but then also yeah. within a team. Good. Yeah, I think it's interesting too, because a lot of, a lot of professionals that are in that younger, that younger age bracket expect that because they were raised in, and this is everybody, everybody goes through this when they're, when they are growing up, you go from first grade to second grade, second grade to third grade, third grade to fourth grade. So there's also younger professionals. And I would, I would argue that people who are, have been in their careers for 40 years experienced this when they first came into the working world also, is that you expect that there's some sort of linear progression and saying, you know, now that I've been at work for one year, this is what I expect at two years, this is what I expect at three years. And there's more of a ladder or a continual growth pattern based on things that that other people can tell you, hey, this is what you need to do to get to the next level. This is and it's almost like asserted. Like it's like, hey, as an organization, we're telling you this is what you need to do at step one. This is what you need to do at step two. And a lot of organizations don't do that, which is throws a lot of young professionals into sort of a weird space because they go into the working world and there's no a lot of organizations there's not really expectations about what is expected at the next level they might say you know here are the competencies that you need to have as a manager or as a leader or a supervisor but they don't actually give you the growth you know the growth pattern to say here's the type of things that you need to grow into and so there's there's like a lot of missing components i think for this younger demographic this like younger group coming into the workforce where if you look at it like so businesses typically when they assess their competitors or their industries, they use Porter's five forces or five, you know, the five forces of business. And I'm, I kind of am viewing that through a talent lens where you look at the five forces, there's so many substitutes to typical organizations. So it used to be the case that the only way that you, well, not the only, but the primary 90% of the way that you make your money is working for someone else or work, you know, getting in this organization, working your way up, making your salary that way but there's a million and one substitutions about how people can make money now. So not only are people, not only are organizations forcing to adapt to sort of like the digital trends, but they also have to look at the talent portion of it and say, okay, we're losing employees to YouTube. We're losing YouTube as like the content creators or losing to people starting their own e-commerce business or starting, you know, like there's so many ways that people can make money that businesses have to kind of look at that talent pool. Cause that a lot of the innovators, a lot of the creators, a lot of the, people that they need to move their businesses forward or the, you know the next generation of leaders is this demographic that a lot of businesses aren't putting a lot of time investing into growing and developing so yeah that's kind of like my thought process is at least if you're managing younger teams i mean if you're managing teams in general but creating more of a strength based approach where you're looking at people's strengths and passions and figuring out how to connect that to the work as opposed to giving them the work and letting them figure that out themselves. <laughs> Cause I think there's such a missing gap for so many of those, for a lot of those organizations and those teams. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I want to dig into the strengths-based approach here in just a moment, but sticking with, with millennial and Gen Z workers for just a little bit longer. Um, it, it's so interesting because again, big, broad, Brushstrokes, right? These are generalizations yep. Yep. for a, for a whole age cohort. Yep. Yep. Obviously, there's there's differences 
you know, within that age cohort. Um, but, but generally speaking, uh, they, they really, the younger workers really do want, and they expect mentoring and coaching on a regular basis. They, they expect regular feedback. And so just throwing them into a kind of this crummy project that nobody else wants and just say, Hey, figure it out. You know, that's not what they've ever done before. And that's not really what they want or expect. Um, and, and, and frankly, it's, it's not good management or leadership either. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, so, so I, I don't, I don't blame them for wanting and expecting a little bit more than that. Um, but yeah. to your point, you know, they, if they're, if they're not happy doing the work that, that you're giving them, like it, it's, it's not meaningful, purposeful work. It's just grunt work. It's just the work that nobody else wants to do. Now there, there's a certain extent to which people do have to pay their dues. I get that. But oftentimes, uh, leaders from the older generations, they view that as entitlement. They view that as, um, you know, millennials, for example, not wanting to, 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 uh, pay, you know, to do, to pay their dues and, and to really work their way up there, there may be a point there, but I, I think the, the bigger issue is a just complete disconnect between, um, what, actual good management practices and good leadership practices say you should do what millennials and Gen Z workers expect and want from their experience in the workplace and what leaders from older generations are actually doing. And so that regardless of who's right or wrong, what the end result is you have younger workers who just basically check out. They say, nah, this isn't for me. I, you know, this isn't the place where I'm going to be fulfilled, where I'm going to have a chance to develop and grow. So I'm going to move on to the next thing. And it's, a little ironic, I think, for organizations to expect, or, or to, rather, it's ironic for organizations to be frustrated with younger workers who just leave after a year or even six months, you know, um, because they say, you know, they, they can't stick it out, they can't stay, they can't stay with it. Um, but they're they're also not willing to invest anything in these younger employees. Uh, it's really not showing any investment in them if there's no. Um, talent pipeline that's been developed that's been articulated and expressed to the to these younger employees there and, and if i get in there as a younger employee and i see no path forward and i have a boss that doesn't um, see my value and they just kind of throw crummy projects at me and there's no mentoring there's no coaching there's no feedback of course i'm not going to be happy and of course i'm going to look for a better opportunity I, I i'm not quite sure why that's a surprise to mm -hmm. to leaders but it is like it, continually I hear that over and over and over again. And so it's not rocket science. Like, of course, they, they aren't willing to do that. Now, previous generations may have been willing to put up with that, but the current generation isn't. And the, and the point you made uh, a minute ago is a really good one. They have options. There are so many options. Um, and in that traditional uh, eight to five uh, type of uh, job, you know, just doesn't resonate with younger workers as much either. So, so we have to make sure that it makes sense for them and it's compelling and that we're leveraging the capacities, capabilities that they bring to the table. So anyways, I just wanted to, no, these, I, are, these are all things that you were saying and I just, I just yeah. uh, thought I would add to that. Yeah, well, it's interesting too, because as you were talking, I had a couple of thoughts that came up because I feel like there's the debate of like, what, how much experience do people need to have to do a certain level or, you know, how, how much responsibility do you give someone who's new? And there's a balance there of like, you know, like, oh, we don't want to give them too much responsibility because what if they leave or we don't want like, okay, that's fine. Like if, if an employee doesn't have enough experience, obviously you don't let them run the company. Like <laughs> that's not, that's not what we're saying. But 
at the same time, if people are giving, a, you know, if there's a project that let's say I'm a manager and I'm like, I'm just making this up. So let's just say I'm a marketing leader, or marketing manager. And I say, I really don't care about social media. I couldn't give a crap about Twitter. I'm going to just give that to my entry level employee. Typically what comes with that is like your entry level employee might be super excited to have that project because they're like, wow, I get to create, I get to really do all this really cool stuff. Because let's say that that's what they were hired to do. Let's say you hired a social media coordinator and that was their role. Obviously, that's something that they're going to be excited to do and that it's going to align with what, you know, their strengths are or whatever, like all of that stuff will come together. But if you look at it from the manager standpoint, the amount of time that you're going to spend coaching or mentoring or working with that particular employee, working on a project that you kind of don't care about, usually what happens, and I, I don't know if you've had this said to you at, at companies, but when I started working, that was what I was working on with social media. And I said, hey, I have this you know, monthly content calendar done. Does anyone want to look at it? And the, literally the response I got was nobody cares. And I was like, great, I'm glad that I put a ton of time into. So one of the other things that employee, entry-level employees, you talked about mentoring and coaching, which I think are critically important. But a lot of people, and I don't know if this is, again, I don't know if this is a generational thing, but everyone wants to make an impact. And if you feel like you're not making it, like if you feel like what you're doing is super energizing and you love it and you're excited, and then you have your supervisor or, you know, a colleague or a teammate say, nobody gives a crap, like that, that sucks because you don't feel like you're making an impact and you feel like you're talking to nobody. And so I think that's a, kind of one of the other things too, is like, even if you as a manager look at a project and you say, this isn't, or let's say a leader, like even if you're at the executive level, because I've worked with CEOs where I'm like, hey, we need to talk about branding. And they're like, yeah, 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 I'm all into branding. And then you say, okay, let's talk about your external social presence. And they're like, I don't care. And it's like, uh, we got to shift that because even if you don't care, like you still need to look at the work and say, I'm leading this team. And if my team is excited about it, I need to show up and be excited too. So there's kind of a, a leadership shift that needs to happen there too, where if you're looking constantly at entry level work as just entry level, then you're most likely that will be the highest rank of turnover is because your teams were kind of going to get that vibe or they're going to get that sense that the culture doesn't value the work that I'm doing or I'm not making an impact where I want to make an impact. And then they're going to end up finding another job or starting their own business or something, you know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so let's pivot just a little bit and actually it's very connected to what we were just talking about, but let's talk more about the strengths based um, focus. Uh, I, I think that's important for everybody um, rather than a deficit approach. Um, you know, looking at strengths and leveraging those and building upon those strengths, I think is really the right way to go for, for all workers, regardless of the level they're in. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think it's particularly important for younger workers um, early in their career, uh, as they're trying to build confidence, they're trying to learn and grow. Um, so, so what is a strengths-based approach more specifically and how can leaders start to leverage that? I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? 
What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Yeah. So when you think about um, strengths versus weaknesses, like we all have things that we're naturally gifted or talented in, and then you have things that you're not, maybe not very good in. And typically you have, if you, if you're doing things that align with your strengths, or I should say, well, I'll flip it. When you're doing things that you really, really enjoy, those are usually your strengths. Those are usually the things that you are really good at. So people don't like, I'm not a great singer. I don't get pleasure out of performing in front of people. And that's not, that's a weakness of mine. So I'm not going to continue doing that, even though I don't like it. Some people love that. And that's their strength like that, just to give kind of a weird, fun example. So in the working world, when you think about your strengths, people usually gravitate toward the things that they're good at. So if you are good at, let's say communication. So just as an example, for me, when I was going into through college, I was really good at communications and figuring out how to communicate with people in a way that they would receive the message that I was trying to convey. So I would naturally go into that space. I wasn't going into, I don't know, like some other finance, for example, because I'm really not good at finance is not great for me. <laughs> so I'm not going to go into a finance role. So people are now naturally gravitating toward the things that they're good at. When they start exploring those interests a little bit more, they can see, okay, it's, you know, I really like this part of communication, but I don't like this part of communication. And they start to kind of explore. And the more that they explore and the more that they expand, they find the things that they are really, really passionate about. And then they find the things that they're not passionate about and that, that kind of just go to the wayside. They don't really enjoy it. Usually what happens with teams is you have um, a list of, let's say, skills and responsibilities on your job description. Maybe 10% of those things are things that you absolutely hate. Maybe 90% or let's say 80% of those things are things that you really enjoy. And the other 10% of those are things that you are kind of like, eh, I'm indifferent about the more. And let's say that you are really excited. You start working, you find out that, you know, out of that 80% of the things that you loved, you find out that actually 30% of that is stuff that you really, really love. Usually what companies will do is they say, and this is again, a generalization, because I've seen it, I've seen it best practices both ways, but typically what organizations will do is they'll say, I don't care what you like working on. You are assigned to do this, this, and this. Therefore, do that. And then that's kind of the thing. So the more that people are in their roles, let's say for two or three years, they kind of chip away at that job description. And they say, you know, from that 80%, I found 30% I'm super passionate about. And from that 30%, I found 10% that I'm absolutely super excited about. But I'm required to do all of this other stuff. And organizations will usually say, I hear you. I hear that you're really excited about doing that 10%. We've had our performance review, you've made it very clear that you love that 10%, but you're going to continue doing everything. And that's kind of how the relationships go. So either people get disheartened, and they feel like they're not moving up, or they feel like they're not making progress, because they've expanded their sort of their role and their skill set, but they're still kind of confined into these smaller spaces of like, here's the stuff that you need to own. So that's kind of one one way that I've seen it happen. The other way that is the way that I'm advocating is 
when companies or when employees start showing that they're passionate about certain things, especially if you have a team of more than two people, let's say, a lot of those pieces will start, the, they kind of turn into puzzle pieces where I call them puzzle piece strengths, where people will have, they'll tell you like, these are, let's say the 10 things that I really, really like doing. And another teammate say, says, these are the 10 things that I like doing. You can take and swap some of those job description skill sets and start cross pollinating and saying, okay, you might not like this one aspect of your job, but this person over here says they really, really like it. So one, one tangible example is I was managing a team where I had one person who was in charge of communications, one person who was in charge of operations, and one person who was in charge of branding. This was a marketing team that I was running. So that was kind of the dynamic. We had, we had more people on the team, but just for this example. We had one person, so our communications person was in charge of obviously communications, but also content. Our operations person was in charge of making sure that like our finances, our invoices were being paid, kind of like all the logistics of making sure that work was getting done, and our branding person was in charge of our in-house agency, making sure that they were getting all their creative done. But when you start having those conversations, I find out you know, our communications person actually really likes, likes interacting with clients, which was typically a operations role. They were interacting with the clients and making sure that, sort of functioning as an account manager. The operations person really liked building relationships internally, which was more of a role for the brand person because they were managing the in-house agency. And the branding person really liked creating content. So it was kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, we could, we could shift everyone's job descriptions, but then they are inherently not doing what they wanted to do. So everyone's roles was essentially what they wanted to do, but there was two or three aspects that this person kind of didn't care about that this person really wanted to do. So it's like, hey, do you mind if I hand this over to person, you know, the operations person because they want to do that. And they're just like, you, you're giving me more free time. You're saying I have less work to do, perfect. So it's kind of like you can shift that stuff around and what you find is your teams become more productive because they're happier, they're more excited, and typically they're playing to their strengths, which is if they're, if, you know, if one person's really good at relationship building and they can go into the in-house agency and say, hey, actually, instead of going through all of these processes, can we just do this, 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 because that's really all they want. And then work becomes streamlined. And so my, what I found was my team was operating, we only had, I think, five people on our team total, not including our in-house agency, but we had five people total as part of the team. And we were performing at, I would say, the rate of a team that would have eight or nine people comparable to our, or in our holistic organization, because our organization typically was functioning in that way of like, these are the 10 things on your job description, do them this way. And so you have your team, your team, when you start playing towards strengths, you get a lot more productive because it's stuff that they're good at and it's stuff that they like doing. So you might have, instead of someone putting in 40 hours, you might have someone put voluntarily putting in 50 hours because they, that's stuff that they enjoy doing. Not to say that that's the goal because you don't, you don't want to expect that your team's going to work overtime, but I found that a lot of my team was willing to spend extra time researching or extra time spending time learning or re, like Googling, figuring out how to do stuff that they didn't know how because it aligned with what they wanted to learn and it, it aligned with what their strengths were. And it took some time to kind of figure out what their strengths were, but in general, that's, I think, how teams should start to be managed is viewing it as instead of locking people into the job that they signed up for, like, obviously, yes, that's how you onboard people and that's how you figure it out. But once people start expanding and they start growing in their role, you might find that there's stuff that you don't even really even need to do. So let's say the example earlier, like someone, let's say nobody in the organization cares about social media. I'm just making this up. But let's say nobody in the organization cares about social media. And really, we don't have any followers and we, our customers aren't even on social media anyway what are we doing social media for anyway? Or can we outsource it? Or can we automate it? Or can we do something different to free up our team to actually do stuff that's fun and interesting for them? 
So yeah, that's kind of a long-winded way of introducing that topic. But yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the view of building out team based on strengths. Yeah, well, and in a great example that you provided as well. And and let's not forget, I mean, there every job has aspects of it that people don't love, and you can't completely get rid of that, right? Um, it's that's just the nature of work. But the 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 more you can balance and align um, the tasks, the responsibilities, the expectations, along with someone's strengths and along with someone's passions uh, and what's meaningful and motivating to them, it's just natural that you're going to end up having better product, right? You're gonna yeah. you're gonna end up having more productive people that are going to work better together because they're really invested uh, more fully into the work, and you're just going to have better outcomes. It's just the way it is. Uh, and so what you're advocating for is a more agile approach to dealing with teams where they can collaborate based on strengths rather than just making everyone arbitrarily do whatever they have initially been hired to do, even if that doesn't actually match the current skill sets that are in the team. Uh, it seems like a no brainer, but you're right. I mean, I think most organizations um, are just kind of locked into that, that uh, approach of just having everyone do, you know, what they traditionally were expected to do upon hire. Um, and I think we can do better than that. We can help teams be more effective than that. And ultimately, I think for younger workers, you know, as we've been focusing on in this discussion, um, you know, they, they want to be able to contribute. They want to be able to find meaning and purpose in their work. They want to be able to develop their skills so that they're ready for new opportunities. And all of that can happen better as we do what you're describing, you know, as, as we can find better alignment and fit uh, between an individual's passions, interests, and talents and skills, along with the work that they're actually doing. That does require more for me as a leader, because it means I actually have to know my people. <laughs> it means I have to have more regular check-ins, not from a micromanaging standpoint, but check-ins in terms of that coaching and that mentoring, that feedback loop. Like, we have to have a, a close feedback loop where we can have dialogue and, and, and by doing that consistently over time, we're going to know our people, we're going to know what they're good at, and we can make tweaks and adjustments to uh, making sure that we're leveraging them to their greatest capacity. And another point I wanted to just touch on real quick, you know, is, is something you mentioned towards the end of your example, is that some, some people will then voluntarily be willing to do more work. Now, we're not talking about doing this as a means to exploit labor, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> that's not that's not the point. But it is a natural byproduct of people being energized by their work. Uh, if I'm energized by my work, I, I often will even lose track of time. I, I because because I'm enjoying it so much and I see the value in it. And you know, it's one thing if someone's a, an hourly employee and, and they get they get overtime uh, hours and I understand organizations need to you know, keep track of that. And, and for financial reasons, they need to, to, they may have to limit that. But a lot of the types of employees that we're talking about, um, they're going to be exempt from overtime. And the organization is going to be expecting them to get the job done anyways, regardless of the amount of time it takes. And in that kind of a scenario, most people are putting in more than 40 hours. And the question is, are they putting in more than 40 hours based on something they're passionate about? Or are they doing it based on like these arbitrary norms of like FaceTime in the office or like get there before the boss shows up and leave after the boss leaves nonsense, you know, like we have all those types of norms in a lot of organizations that aren't productivity oriented at all. 
they're they're just there um, because someone thinks that's the way it should be. Uh, but if we focus on on strengths and talents, people will naturally be drawn to to investing in that work, and that might actually mean they're putting in more time. Um, but regardless, they're going to be more productive. Yeah. Well, I think that you brought up something at the beginning too of, of what you were saying is there's always, I think, going to be some resistance that leaders might have to say, you know, oh, well, I need to get this thing done. And if they're not doing it, who's going to do it? Like there's going to be some resistance of, you know, who's going to, who's going to do this work that if I'm job sculpting this person and they're doing something that they want to do, someone's got to do the stuff that no one's want to do. And I think part of there's, I think there's some bias in that, some unconscious bias of people assume that just because either I don't like it or because this person doesn't like it, that somebody else on your team might not. And if it's, so let's say in the very rare instance that nobody on your team wants to do the one thing that needs to get done, let's say invoicing, let's say that that's something that they need to send out a monthly report. I just, I'm going to finance because I'm not, that's not my strong suit, but let's say invoicing, that's something that I would not enjoy let's say nobody else on my team enjoys it, if you're sculpting someone's job in a way that is really exciting to them, they're going to take on those projects that, that you might not like or that they might not like in tolerance of being able to do the stuff that they like. So it's kind of like when you're younger and your parents tell you that you need to eat your vegetables before dessert. But if you're giving your team 80% dessert, they're going to be okay eating the vegetables that they might not like. And they're That's not right. even going to notice because it's gonna be something where they're gonna be so excited to go into work and they're gonna show up with that being in the flow or being in the zone and being like, I'm gonna show up and do X, Y, and Z today. If you say, okay, you know, this is something that needs to get done, don't forget to do it. It's gonna be something where it's gonna be like, all right, I'm gonna eat a piece of cake and then I'm gonna eat my vegetables and then I got the rest of the day to eat cake. And so that's kind of the thing I think most leaders look at from, from a place of kind of, and not intentionally, but just bias of like, if this is if this is entry level work, nobody likes it. Like for social media, no one likes it. Nobody wants to do it. If you're projecting that on your employee and saying nobody likes doing social media and you shouldn't either, and they're going to be like, okay. But then a lot of people, instead of having that conversation, being like, okay, how can we make it so that you have more fun at work? They say nobody likes social media. You need to do social media because it's part of your job description, and then they walk away. And you're just like, okay, cool. So it's kind of like balancing, like there might be some resistance to make this change because it has to be a gradual thing. It's not just something where you can walk in tomorrow and say, we're going to take the strength-based approach because there's a culture shift that kind of needs to happen with that behavior because people aren't going to trust it at first. Um, but once you get to the point of saying, okay, this is a thing and you start building those relationships with your team and say, okay, this is stuff that, that needs to happen. Eventually either somebody will step up and say, that's something that I actually want to do. Like I love invoicing, even though, you know, like person A might say, I love invoicing. Or you might have nobody show up and say, nobody wants to do it. And you say, okay, I'm going to assign it to this person. And that person will ideally more than likely accept that challenge because they have all of the ability to do all the other, they'll, they'll have the ability to be dynamic and create their career in a way that they enjoy showing up to work every day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the other aspect of that is even if, there's no one on the team that wants to do it. I mean, you can frame it as this is a development opportunity, right? Yeah. So, you know, I may be more excited, not excited necessarily, but I may be more willing um, to invest my time and energy into a less desirable task if I know that, hey, you know, if I'm going to ever move up to the next level, I need to understand invoicing. 
you know, I, I'm not going to have to do invoicing if I'm the supervisor or I'm right. the manager, but I'm going to need to understand it so I can check them and, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so sometimes we just need to help. Uh, we, we take a, a, a growth approach to these less desirable tasks and just help people recognize and understand you need a holistic understanding of what we're doing here so that you have opportunities in the future. And then people are going to be more willing and excited even to, to take on some of those less desirable aspects. And if you're coupling that with like the 80% dessert, like you're talking about, then it, then it really isn't a problem. Then you're, you're, everything's getting done. People are invested in it and, and things move forward. Yeah, that's a really good point. Well, Benjamin, it has been a real pleasure talking with you today. Uh, the time has flown by and we're about out of time. Um, before we close, though, I did want to give you a chance um, to share with listeners how they can get connected with you uh, and give you the last word on the topic. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for having me. This is this is a lot of fun. Um, if people are looking to get in contact with me, I have my LinkedIn, Benjamin J. Preston, or you can go to my website, benjaminpreston.com. Um, I also have, if you are interested in more information about building an exciting career, I have a book called Harness Your Butterflies that's available on Amazon as well. Um, or you can find it on my website either way. But yeah, if you're looking to get in contact, my website or LinkedIn is the easiest way. Excellent. Thank you, Benjamin. It really has been a pleasure. You've shared a lot of really great insights. And I hope listeners will reach out, get connected, and take to heart you know, some of what we've been talking about today. I think having a growth mindset, building upon strengths um, as we're seeking to grow and, and recognizing that sometimes there are generational differences and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, we can build off of those strengths too, right? And, uh, and ultimately the goal is to help everyone feel more fulfilled, help, every, help the organization be more productive, help the organization be successful. So um, I think this isn't like a, a dichotomy where we either have to have people doing crappy stuff that they hate, or we can have an, a, you know, a successful organization. Like we can do both. We can, we really can help people find, um, meaning and passion and work the, that they do. And we can help the organization be successful. In fact, the one will feed into the other. Um, thank you again. It has been a pleasure. I hope everyone stays healthy and safe that everyone can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope everyone has a great week. Thank you. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.